Hello everyone and welcome back to Cine Matters, the podcast coming from and to a cinema near you. My name is Ella Kemp. I'm Dan Serene. And we are back after a small festive break, but the films do not stop coming and we've got a very big release for you this fortnight. But before we do that, we should have a little catch up. It's been a little while. Dan, how have you been? Have you watched anything worth talking about? Yeah, as you probably have noticed, it's been Christmas. So uh, every Christmas I watch a lot of musicals because they make me feel very happy. Uh, The best of the new musicals I watch, or musicals that I haven't seen before, was Cabaret, probably. Have you seen that? I haven't seen Cabaret, but should I? It's fantastic, yeah. Cabaret, really good film. You'd recognise a lot of the songs if you haven't seen it, and Liza Minnelli's performance is brilliant. Cool. Tell me, during this festive period, did you catch one of the greatest movie musicals of our generation when it was on TV on Christmas Day? Are you you talking about The Greatest Showman? Well, the fact that you recognised it based off my description (laughs) means that it's a fact. I didn't know it was on on Christmas Day. I did happen to watch it. Uh, a few days before Christmas Day. I liked bits of it, for sure. The dancing is is very good. That's that's all I'll say about that. Well, that's good. Now, I have watched a few films this fortnight, but I forced myself at Christmas time, when I have a bit more time to myself, to watch some TV to catch up on things, because I really don't watch much TV at all. So, this Christmas break, I have watched all of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This was a TV show that I recommended you. Um... I mean, you said it was great, and you joined the chorus of many people <laughs> in the world saying it was great. Totally down to me and no one else, yes. Thank you, Dan. How will I ever repay you? You won't. So I watched that, and it's so wonderful. I really loved it, and I could go on about it for a very long time, but I'm aware that that's not what we're talking about today. It's not, but I, I will say that I do think it is the best TV show Ever? That's, that's come out since my favourite is Breaking Bad of all time but since Breaking Bad this is the best TV show I've seen I mean you haven't watched The Leftovers <laughs> which as far as I'm aware can never be trumped ever but The Marvelous Mrs Maisel is just delightful on so many levels and you can watch it on Amazon Prime who sponsors us <laughs> Please sponsor us, literally anyone. So now that we've covered that, uh, maybe we should come back to the cinema and we should look at what we're talking about this fortnight. Now, I don't think it's too difficult to guess if you've been anywhere near a cinema or a TV or the internet for any time in the past six months because it is a sequel. It's not a remake, it's not a reboot, it's a direct sequel coming 54 years after the original film, which is, I believe, the longest gap ever between two films. Uh, that from Two one... live-action films. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, Dan, tell us what it is. It's Mary Poppins Returns. I don't know how much of a, a synopsis I can give other than that Mary Poppins Returns. She comes back 25 years later from when she left in the 1964 film. She's been replaced by Emily Blunt uh, because Julie Andrews doesn't look the same age she does 54 years ago. Uh, And she comes back when the Banks' children are again in need. Their father, who was Michael Banks, he's still Michael Banks, but he's grown up, has become a widow and is struggling with his children and things and the children need Mary Poppins' support once again. But I think we should clarify that the Banks' children that need Mary Poppins' support, they are Jane and Michael Banks who are grown up and yeah, Michael's got kids of his own now, but 
He's the one that's struggling. Right, exactly. And it shows that being a child does not have an expiration date. (laughs) So that's the film that we're talking about. It might be the busiest film of the year, of 2018 so far. It's close between Mum and Beer and Mary Poppins in in the cinema where I work. But I think it's been a week now, a week and a half since it came out, and it's been full every single show Mm -hmm. it's really enjoyable every time i'm standing outside and the doors open and you hear that score it just does kind of refill you with joy and people coming out loving it i haven't heard anyone say any bad things about it yet i found that people that i've spoken to who saw it a bit earlier they've gone back to see it a second time already which is kind of similar to what was happening with mamma mia 2 except i think it's happening even more so with Mary Poppins because I found what seems to be happening is people go and see it for the first time and they really like it. And then because they're at home with their family and sometimes it seems that some people kind of run out of things to do, but having seen this film and knowing that it's really well suited to families, they think, oh, well, that's perfect. We'll all go Mm. and see Mary Poppins together. I have heard a few critics who don't like it, which is fine. But yeah, I think some people are seeing this sequel as too much of a rehash Mm. of you know things that worked in the original so you know it's a good thing they're um, not on this podcast so they're not on this podcast but you are dan what did you think of the film well i think the first important thing that i have to say about it is that it's a film that very much relies on whether you like the original or not I love the original. It's one of my favourite musicals of all time. Seeing this film, even if it is similar, it feels great. I loved it. I was so excited to go and see this film. I think I was maybe definitely counting down the days before I went to go and see it. (laughs) Yes, I also love the original. And I actually studied the original a lot when I was at university and I did some projects on it. So I love the original. And I really loved this one as well. For me, it ticked every box that it needed to. I thought the acting was terrific. I really loved the music. I think because we both really enjoyed it, I think the rest of the podcast now is going to be spent playing sort of devil's advocate. Speak for yourself, Dan. (laughs) Trying to see the other side of this debate. I've read quite a few reviews of people who didn't like it so much to try and understand what their points might be. And what I've come across a lot is that these reviews are being written by people who don't care so much for the original Mm. and I I just wanted to raise that as a point because I don't know if at at certain points I was thinking well what right do you have to recommend to to say that this film is bad if you knew going in that you probably weren't going to like it I mean I think that's fair enough for them because if you don't like the original film then it is obviously a big risk going to see this one but I genuinely think that this film has a lot of worth in its own right in terms of like there are loads of things in this film that the original just didn't have like emily blunt is not she's not julie andrews and she i don't think she's trying to be at all and i just i love the way that she speaks the just her kind of clipped accent yeah and it's so funny there's a lot of sass to it which i think julie andrews had in her attitude but in a different way i think with julie andrews it was more in her body language and the kind of way that she'd i don't know like tilt her head or kind of move her shoulders in a different way but emily blunt she stresses particular words and just particular syllables that just didn't need to be done in that way but i can just think about four different moments Mm when just one particular sound made me think she's the most magical creature I've ever seen on a screen. Like, I think if you found, for whatever reason, you didn't like Julie Andrews, I genuinely think that 
that does not imply that you would dislike or like Emily Blunt. Mm. I think there's an indulgence in Emily Blunt. Like, she's slightly stricter um, than than Julie Andrews was in the character. And then there's an indulgence in the magic that's kind of like a cheeky wink. And Julie Andrews was a bit more kind of like, I'm strict, but there's also magic. And it was all rolled into one. Mm. And separating those two things is kind of a bit more charming, in a way. I find that with one of the first songs that comes into the film... Can you imagine yeah, that? Yeah, totally. Oh, it's amazing. Because I think if we are basing ourselves on the original, you have to look at the different chapters in the film and what comes at which point and when she comes in and when the songs happen and all of that. So can you imagine that comes in at a moment when kind of the first moments between new Mary Poppins and the second generation of Banks children and they're in the bathroom and in my head I think, right, this is the spoonful of sugar moment. This is the moment when, you they know... They put away all the toys. Right, yeah. they put away all the toys, they clean themselves up, the mm. magic comes to life and everything, which obviously iconic great great moment but this one just goes to so many more levels higher and lower and under the ocean and up in the sky it makes me think could this have been done at any different moment in history that isn't 2018 with all the technical magical things that we have and Mm. i mean this is probably a very narrow-minded understanding of visual effects for me but i was amazed by it and it's just so much bigger and full of so much more imagination than a spoonful of sugar was even though i love that moment of course but you know that is in the nursery can you imagine that goes under the sea i think the under the sea thing is a bit that's the the level of imagination of um jolly holiday from the original but jolly holiday <laughs> has its own moment which we'll come to in a bit yeah i think because of that though it loses the second moment the uh the dalton musical loses some of its impact Do you think? yeah because you've oh. already had so much imagination before whereas the pacing of the original it kind of steps up each Mm. time there's another song and I think the only issue that I have with this film is that it's like the writer's gone through the original Mary Poppins script and tried to match up moments like that Yeah. Uh, so it's like okay we're going to have an imagination sequence in the nursery and then we're going to have a hand-drawn animation scene you kind of do have to it doesn't have to be so parallel and I hate asking this question, but you have to ask yourself, who is this film for? <laughs> and because I think some people who love the original might really crave like a continuation of what they first saw and more of more of the same, but slightly different. So all of the same mannerisms and and, you know, a loose template, but in a very modern and specific new way. Mm-hmm. But then other people who don't necessarily like the original or just just want like a good standalone film then yeah then they'll be annoyed but i think that there's from what i've heard from a lot of people who go to see it a lot of people really love that the way that you can see how it's evolved from the original in the way that it's the same shape but it's just kind of bloomed in a Mm. bit more of a modern way yeah i just wish it wasn't so tied in Mm. in terms of structure and even the fact that like you've replaced bert with this new kind of bertish character who's essentially the same you are referring to jack the lamplighter played by lin-manuel miranda who apparently was a former apprentice of bert (laughs) i will have you know yeah so he learned from the best 
I think he is the one thing that I was looking at and I thought, no, stop being silly. You don't <laughs> live here. You don't think the London sky yeah. is lovely. What do you think about his accent? I know that it's necessary because he's doing what Dick Van Dyke So did. he's doing a Dick Van Dyke impression or he genuinely thinks that is the correct accent? I think he's being directed to fill the shoes of a very similar character right. to who Bert was and I mean do you know what who knows whether when Dick Van Dyke was playing Bert who knows what he was told to do for his accent like he <laughs> might have been told to just you know do whatever he was doing he, he claims that he had an acting coach who's who was bad oh really yeah, that his oh, his dear. accent coach couldn't do the accent and that's why his accent is so bad oh wow oh that's really interesting I didn't care so much about Dick Van Dyke's accent purely because I watched the film maybe 40 years after it first came out so I wasn't really aware of who Dick Van Dyke was outside mm. of Burt mm. so for me Burt was just like this is you this is how you speak and that's fine but I think you know watching a film now with anyone who you know is not British you know you can tell when something's not quite right mm. I think for me it was the one bit of the film that reminded me that it's not perfect and it's all like an artifice and these people trying to do these things and you know they don't always work sometimes mm. but I do think that it was a necessary character flaw if you will to have yeah, this enough. accent in that way well because I just think where else would he be from? Like, how else would he be speaking? You know, because he can't have the same accent as Mary Poppins. I don't think he can outshine her. That's not good. Because she's, you know, she's Mary Poppins. And he can't be American, because what, what would he be doing in, in London during yeah. the Great Slump? The thing they could have done is go, like, really deny the fact that they got it wrong with, with Bert's accent and go the other way and cast, like, Danny Dyer. No! <laughs> cast somebody oh, really authentic. Oh, that makes me feel quite a bit a bit dirty. <laughs> I kind of want to have a bath you lose, like that. You lose all of the magic. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, no, can't have that. No, and do you know what? I think I will take Lin-Manuel Miranda's yeah. accent just because I think that all of the other things that he does are so good. I really think that his acting, if anything, just, like, his acting with his eyes, I think it's really great. I feel that he's really happy to be there and that he completely believes in the magic or he's very good at pretending if not sometimes with adults in what i'll build as children's films i always believe that they're just the actors there to get paid and then like do a film that will impress children but in this instance i felt like yeah he really wants to be part of this world and within this thing across the board the acting is pretty strong the kids it's a bit variable with, with child actors, but these, these ones are, are nice. I love Georgie. The other two, get in the stay and see. When they go underwater, just 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 go for a swim until you've calmed down a bit. Just, they got my nerves a little bit. But like I can see that's deliberate as well, because they have to be a bit stroppy and a bit yeah. stressed out. I find it interesting, though, that Disney are very much staying with this template now of... There are three children. Mm -hmm. There is one girl who has an older brother and a younger brother. We saw it in Peter Pan. We saw it in the Aristocats. It's like the older who needs a bit more convincing. And then the young kid who's really up for believing in everything. And And the girl who's just going to tell them what's what. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of the Aristocats, I would just like to use this moment to talk about the music in this film again. I've seen a lot of criticism on the internet about this music. Just a lot of people saying that the second they left the cinema, they could not remember a single song. I really love the music just because they're not copying the original songs. Mm. I think a lot of them are completely new, even if they do 
fit into the same template as we were saying in different moments. One of the Sherman brothers, so the Sherman brothers were this famous songwriting duo who wrote loads of the music for Disney films and they wrote the songs for Mary Poppins and so one of the Sherman brothers is like a consulting producer on this film now and I really like that and I think you can tell that because in a number of songs in this film they quote bits of the original songs without without recycling the melodies of them or anything and I think there's only a moment towards the end when they just very faintly use the motif of feed the birds but then I think past that I could feel so many moments of much older 1960s Disney cartoons and the style of music in there. Mm. Like, there's the moment in Topsy's house, so that's Mary Poppins' cousin, played by Meryl Streep. When they're in her house, the song that plays then, I swear it sounds like the Aristocats with kind of the different instruments that you've got. And there's this really exotic clarinet moment. And then there's these big trumpets. And it's all the same instruments. Well, I mean, I know that the Aristocats didn't invent these instruments. (laughs) But it sounds to me, I don't know, when you're watching one Disney film, I'm just within that universe. And then I just think, well, I remember that from this other Disney film. I really love that. And then the bit when they're in the Dalton Bowl, all the kind of very loose tongue twisters that Mary Poppins is doing when they first arrive there. That made me think of the Jungle Book when they're doing all the scat singing and everything. And I loved that. And I just like seeing all these little bits of other films and other Sherman Brothers Disney music moments. Yeah, I think the music is one of the strongest aspects of the film. I've been listening to the score, which is not the soundtrack. They're just the music outside of the songs which is by Mark Scheiman. Mm-hmm. Who did the music for Hairspray. The big theme that they repeat use is from Can You Imagine That? And it's really catchy. The first <laughs> time I listened to it, I was a bit like, well, this is just the same theme over and over again. Mm-hmm. But they use it in so many different ways that it, it is a really good score to just listen to the whole way through, which I don't find with a lot of scorists like Hans Zimmer, where they're just writing music for a scene in a film. Yeah, I really love Can You Imagine That as well. But... I then find it very interesting how on the shortlist for the best original song for the 2019 Oscars, there are two songs from Mary Poppins Returns, which when we think of another big release like A Star Is Born, there is only one. And the two songs from Mary Poppins Returns are, I think the only two songs that we haven't talked about yet, which are The Place Where Lost Things Go, sung by Emily Blunt, and Trip A Little Light Fantastic, sung by Lin-Manuel Miranda, etc. And Can You Imagine That isn't on the shortlist. Yeah, that is a bit strange. Yeah. Triple Up Like Fantastic, I don't know what you thought, but because of this format that was in my brain and remembering the original film and how it was building, when he shows up and it's all gloomy, this is a point in a film where it's not going so well for the children or anyone, and in the original, Burt character shows up, he sings Chim Chim Cheree. And everything, it's like the show-stopping... Which won, which won the Oscar's yeah, Best Original yeah, Song. It's, I don't know if it's my favourite from the film, but it's the, the standout song. Right. And then, so you're expecting this Lin-Manuel moment to be the showstopper, right? Yeah. And it hits, and then it's like, it's not a showstopper. I didn't love it. I, neither did I. And also, now, this is definitely just me, I didn't actually know the expression, Triple Little Light Fantastic, Uh, So the whole time I was thinking, what are they saying? (laughs) Does this make sense? And, like, it does. I mean, let's just get up the definition right now. Cockney rhyming saying or something. Trip the light fantastic is a saying, which means 
to dance nimbly or lightly, or to move in a pattern to musical accompaniment. It is often used in a humorous vein. As early as 1908, it was viewed as a cliche or hackneyed phrase. <laughs> so, I mean, there we go. So it's a thing that exists, but I don't know if it's wise to base your supposedly show-stopping number around this expression that, since 1908, <laughs> is viewed as a cliche or hackneyed phrase. I mean, it, ob- it obviously works within the context, but the fact that while it was going on, I just had this burning desire to check my phone to be like, are you grammatically correct? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't love it quite so much. I didn't love it quite so much I think because I really loved Can You Imagine That and then I really liked the just everything in the Dalton Music Bowl thing I loved all of that I Mm. think that was wonderful yeah I think that's the strongest part of the film yeah Triple Little Life fantastic Uh, what's really disappointing for me about that song is that that's the the moment when you're expecting there to be really strong choreography which is something I really enjoy about musicals. Yeah. And especially at the start of the film, well, going in, you know that it's directed by Rob Marshall, who directed Chicago, which has some really fantastic dance sequences. And then at the start of the film, his name comes up, they do all the credits at the start, and his name comes up as co-choreographer. And you think, well, it's it's going to have at least one really mm-hmm. good dance scene. And if this is it, if... Triple O Like Fantastic is that scene, then it is disappointing. There's some nice bike stuff i guess like they they kick their legs up quite high yeah against the lights it's it's got nothing on step in time i watched it again after watching mary poppins returns yeah um just to you know make myself feel happy and it's brilliant all the chimney sweeps dancing across the the different roofs there is nothing like that in this film my closing argument in favor of mary poppins returns is going to have to be on Okay, I've got two points, but I'll be I'll, I'll, I'll be really quick. <laughs> I'll be really quick with the second one. The first one is the Royal Dalton Music Hall bowl scene. Yep. I think it is sensational. I was amazed from start to finish. So the second they like spin that bowl and the animation comes up, I thought, oh great, cool. This is mm. you know this is the animated bit. It's gonna be nice. And it was. And and they get in there and for the whole kind of intro bit when they're in that bowl at the beginning and they're just like walking through and getting on the horse and all of that sorry they don't get on the horse but you know a carriage and a horse are there and I was just staring at their costumes and I was thinking I can't actually tell if these are animated or they're actually wearing them and listener I saw this film on a very big screen (laughs) I should be able to see this but I genuinely couldn't tell and that might be just me but I god I think they're incredible and well so they are real costumes and so the costume designer by Sandy Powell, who is hands down my favourite costume designer ever, she did. So she did the costume design on Carol, on Cinderella, um, that is 2015 Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella, on The Favourite. Yeah. It's out this week, go and see it. She's going to be fighting herself for an Oscar this year. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to be so fun to yeah. watch, I can't wait. But So the costumes in this scene are just amazing, and that's definitely the show-stopping moment you know, costume-wise. Uh, so they're all these these suits. They're all hand-painted, watercolour, pastel-type suits that, you know, Mary wears... Sorry, Mary Poppins. I feel weird saying just Mary. You don't know her. So Mary Poppins wears this suit, and so does Jack, and so do the children. And it's... Yeah, so the costumes are amazing. And then as they're walking, you can hear the sound that their shoes make on the porcelain and I love that and that's such a detail that you didn't really need it's like you know you're doing all this animation like I believe it enough already as it is but there is such attention to detail in the kind of mirrored surface of the porcelain 
and then with the pastel colours and just it's divine. And then within that scene, then they go into like that big performance tent and then they do another song mm. when which to me felt the most like Chicago in that bit because they completely flip their accents. Right. And then Mary Poppins has this like very short bob, like her hair is like to her chin, she's got like this very short fringe and she does this this duet with Jack and it's all just it's a bit racy it's a bit racy yeah, yeah. it is and, and yeah and that's the moment where I thought yes this is Rob Marshall here <laughs> he is and then Jack does a, a Hamilton yeah, moment Hamilton yeah. which I thought you know what fair like you, you were gonna <laughs> do it anyway like you're doing it quite well from start to finish I was like what is happening in mm. any of these moments it, I think that scene is a credit to Rob Marshall as a director apparently he fought for those hand-drawn animated characters rather than right. computer-generated ones. Uh, and I think that's something that's really special mm. about that scene. As, as you say, that attention to detail is really good. Oh. And I wish, I somehow wish that it had been carried through the whole film, but then it wouldn't have been so standout. I think in that scene, it felt like it lasted maybe 15, 20 minutes tops, or maybe even less. There's two songs on a long chase, and it feels like it goes on for so long. And there's so many different styles and different storylines and musical mm. moments and just sets and costumes. And it's it's exhausting, but <laughs> in the best way. Yeah. And the final thing I want to say is on the very last scene in the park, which I think is Michael Banks, played by Ben Whishaw. I really think that's his redeeming moment because throughout the film, I was, I was a little bit disappointed. Just because I thought, you know, when you're going to make Ben Whishaw play a sad, lonely character in London but who's quite nice and makes you feel quite good. Like, you've already done that with Paddington and it works so well. So, in a way, I thought this is going to be great because he knows how to play that character. I found it a bit lacklustre because I thought, well, Emily Blunt's so good and everyone else is so good. He's just a bit mopey and doesn't really do much for himself. I think the redeeming moment for Ben Whishaw in this film, then, is the final musical number, which is Nowhere to Go But Up, in the final scene when they're in the park and Angela Lansbury plays this balloon lady and they all float away and I, I don't mean this lightly and I don't mean this only literally it's so uplifting and it just oh it just makes your heart sing and I think it's a very simple premise because like there must be so many songs called like the only way is up or just up or I can <laughs> like I can think of five already but they do it so well and I think it feels like everyone really believes in what they're saying and they're just all really happy to be there. <laughs> I don't particularly like Bill Wishaw's character uh, the whole way through. I think it, it's a step down from the David Tomlinson character of the original. But as you say, he pulls it back and it is a brilliant song. And um, apparently the Angela Lansbury character was originally offered to Julie Andrews and um, she said that she turned it down because she didn't want to anyone to be distracted from Emily Blunt mm. which is like the nicest yeah. thing ever she said that she wanted this to be Emily's show but the fact is that sure Julie Andrews is not in Mary Poppins Returns but do you know what she is in that came out a week before Mary Poppins Returns she has a very small role in DC's Aquaman now Julie Andrews plays the mythic Carathen, an undersea creature who will reportedly hold the key to Arthur Curry's ascension to the throne of Atlantis. <laughs> like a big CGI what? monster. Yeah, this makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> and then this is, I promised the tangent on Aquaman's only finished, but the writer of Aquaman said, David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick said, you know what, this creature, it's always a guy. It's always like the big booming male voice. I want a female voice with gravitas. We don't ever see that coming from this creature. So let's make this a powerful female. 
this was the director's inspiration. I mean, fair. Yeah. So, yeah. Good choices all round. Great choices all round. <laughs> I think from what we've said, we can conclude that there's criticisms of this film floating around the world. We, we know what some of them are. Perhaps we agree with some of them, but overall... We like this film. We do, and you should all go and see this film. <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities. As how how long do you think it will stay in cinemas for? Well, judging by the length of that Bohemian Rhapsody has been in cinemas, I would say maybe seven weeks. Yeah, I would go with. Yeah. So there's still at least at least four or five yeah. for people to go to. Excellent. Uh, so to assess just how much we liked this film, we have to rate this film linearly from one to five, as we do every week. This week, it's pretty simple. I couldn't really think of anything too difficult. But to see this film, Ella, how many lamps would you light or or extinguish? Or or extinguish? Hang on, which one? Well, uh, let's go with extinguish. That's what really. It, that's oh what no, it does. but that's sad. Okay, how many lights would you light? I don't yeah, know. Okay, what do you fine. want? No, no, yeah, light. Now to give you some context, we are in the era of electricity now you know i don't really need to light any lamps as it were but if i had to to see this film i would probably light four out of five because lamps are um important to see but then i wouldn't light that last lamp because well i could just flip a switch and you know electricity works I'm not that desperate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying metaphorically. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd go with four as well. Just yes. to, you know, some Christmas generosity there. Dad, you know it's January. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm still in the Christmas spirit. You are? Wow. That That, that is the magic of Mary Poppins. <laughs> the magic of Mary Poppins is sure to be with us for quite some time still. But it's not the only thing that's going to be with us for a while. We are now in January. And I know that Dan has been waiting to say this since sorry he hasn't been waiting to say this but he has been saying this since october we are in january at the end of the month there are some pretty big nominations and for the next couple of months we'll be talking about some awards so dan what season are we in it's award season reluctantly i must admit i think it might be award season so it is that the means... third month of award season so everyone. that means that there's a lot of big films coming out so dan what are we going to be watching in the next few months this month we'll see a lot of the big awards films come out ahead of the oscars and the baftas in february and march included in those the one that i'm most excited about is vice which comes out near the end of the month ella is looking very disparaging at that because she is more excited for beautiful boy which comes out on the 18th stars timothy chalamet do you want to say anything more about that it's great go and see it the title is not misleading that is all i think i think we can expect a couple of acting award nominations from that one i i would hope so i think so and maybe also from mary queen of scots which comes out the same day the 18th sure also on a personal recommendation i don't know if it'll be big in award season hopefully fingers crossed but stan and ollie comes out on the 11th which is just a wonderful film and I really recommend people see it and I hope it doesn't fly under the radar. And also out this week is The Favourite, which is one of the best films of the year, for sure. It's wonderful, Olivia Colman for Best Actress. (laughs) So that'll keep us pretty busy over the next few weeks. We hope you enjoy Mary Poppins. Even if you want to go and see it again, as we have said, it will be in cinemas for the next five weeks. If not, there are plenty of great films coming up. Happy watching, happy listening, and we will see you next time.